Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, y'all, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're learning what the Bible says about doctrine and theology, subjects that many Christians falsely believe are too difficult to handle, too difficult to understand, and just too out of reach. We are continually seeking and seeking out ways to do this in relevant terms, in ways that apply to our daily lives. On today's podcast, we'll be wrapping up our latest series on homardiology, the doctrine of sin. So far in this series, we've covered the topics of the lostness of humanity, the inevitable results of remaining lost, the future destiny of the lost, and we've answered some questions along the way. What about those who've never heard? Is there a possibility of making a decision to be saved after one has died? And in our most recent podcast, we talked about the consequences of sin. Today's topic, Pastor Jeff, certainly requires a great deal of sensitivity because it involves a very emotional issue for those who have experienced the loss of an infant child. We're going to try to answer a question that, honestly, people have been asking for centuries, and it's this. What happens to children who die in infancy? Will they go to heaven? If a baby does not know salvation through Jesus Christ, will they still have an eternity in heaven? This question also applies to those who reach maturity with serious mental impairments that prevent them from making moral judgments, deliberating, or making reasonable decisions. If, as a result of Adam's transgression, human nature is tainted and guilty from inception, as we learn in Psalms 51.5 and Ephesians 2, are those who die in infancy lost. Yeah, this is a big one. It is. That's a tough question, (laughs) and it does require a lot of sensitivity. And hello again, kitchen table theologians. You know, few things in life are more tragic and heartbreaking than the death of a baby Mm. or a small child. For parents, the grief can be absolutely overwhelming. For the minister, and I've done it, to stand over a small white casket and provide comfort and support, or try to, Mm -hmm. seems to ask for more than you really can deliver. You know, I just think back to one, the baby was born and died minutes after he was born as a little guy. And walking ahead, I remember a couple of days later, walking ahead of the funeral director who was carrying a white casket in his arms. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing was only about two feet long. Mm Mm-hmm. And the parents behind him and their loved ones and so forth and siblings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the minister always leads that procession to the graveside. And, man, it's just really, really tough to do. Mm -hmm. And so many people console themselves with the thought that at least the child's now in a better place. Some people believe that small children who die become angels. That, you know, there are people absolutely certain that these precious little ones are in heaven with God. And it's vitally important for us, however, both to ask and answer some important questions if we can along within this topic. So, do those who die in infancy go to heaven? That's one question. How do we know? What evidence is there to support that conclusion? Sentimentalism and emotional hopes and wants 
they're very strong, but they're not sufficient alone for those who live under the authority of the Word of God. So we must, if at all possible, find out what God has to say on this. Mm -hmm. And really, it's a difficult question to answer. Regrettably, the Bible does not provide a specific explanation. But we may, however, build, I think, a good theology of this based on how God works in various situations as you read them throughout Scripture. And we'll look at some of those shortly, as well as an understanding. You know, if you've got a good understanding of God's character, of how God relates with us, I think we can create and understand a good theology for a good biblical answer to these questions. And this is one of several that we can think of that people want to kind of be the ostrich on, right? We want to stick our heads in the sand and be like, ah, da, 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 da. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Just think good thoughts. Just, and of course, this, ha- you know, they go to heaven, but there's nothing backing that up mm-hmm. except our emotional hopes and desires. And well, okay, if you believe in God, God's a loving God, how certainly he couldn't consign a little baby to hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and that's as far as we ever take it. But we're going to go a little bit deeper. And as we've noted, this is something that the church has wrestled with literally for centuries. So can you give us some of that background of what earlier theologians, those that have come before, have taught about all of this? Sure. And I'm indebted to Dr. Al Mohler, he's president of Southern Seminary, Louisville, Kentucky, Daniel Aiken, for the following, some of the names and what they taught. And and you're right, the church has not been of one mind on this issue The early church, the medieval church, was anything but united. Some church fathers that spoke on everything are completely silent on this issue. Ambrose, he was an uh, Italian bishop in Milan, Italy, which kind of sounds nice, you know, Mm -hmm. back in the fourth (laughs) century. He said unbaptized infants were not admitted to heaven, but have immunity from the pains of hell. So where they went, not sure. Augustine. He was bishop in North Africa in the fourth and fifth, late fourth century, early fifth century. He affirmed what he called the damnation of all unbaptized infants, but taught they would receive the mildest punishment of all. Gregory of Nyssa or Nisa, late fourth century, offered that infants who die immediately mature and are given the opportunity to trust Christ. So as soon as they died, they got to an age where they could discern good from bad, right from wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And then they were given the opportunity to trust Christ. And we we talked about that, I think, two podcasts ago. Do mm-hmm. I have a chance to trust Christ after I die? Mm-hmm. And we said, no. John Calvin, the reformer, he affirmed the certain election of some infants. Of course, if yeah, if he's Calvin, the word election is not far behind. <laughs> That, that some infants were elected to salvation, and he was open to the possibility that, that all infants who die would be saved. He said this, Christ receives not only those who, moved by holy desire and faith, freely approach unto him, but those who are not yet of age to know how much they need his grace. The hard part of that argument is, what is the, what's the age? of when you know how much you need His grace. So that has got to be fluid for every person. So Ulrich Zwingli, B.B. Warfield, Charles Hodge, all names known to theologians, all taught God saves all who die in infancy. And their perspective became 
the dominant view of the church, and that started in the early to mid-20th century. Yet, and a popular evangelical theologian, who will remain nameless, chided Billy Graham. I don't, I don't know if you remember. I'm, I'm not going to ask how old you were, 95, but you were significantly younger than me. But in April of 19... 18 nine... years old. Okay, well, you'll remember this. <laughs> yeah, I was... I was a senior pastor in a church. There you, you go. You would have been in my youth group. <laughs> um, do you remember the Oklahoma City bombing, April of 95? And I do. There was a daycare center mm-hmm. in that, and a number of toddlers and infants got killed in that. And Billy Graham did basically what equated to a national memorial service. It was very powerful. And Dr. Graham said this, quote, Someday there will be a glorious reunion with those who have died and gone to heaven before us. And that includes all those innocent children that are lost. They're not lost from God because any child that is young is automatically in heaven and in God's arms. Now, this theologian scolded Mr. Graham for offering what he called this, quote, a new gospel, justification by youth alone. Mm. So Scripture doesn't speak to this issue directly. But there is evidence that can be gleaned that would lead us to affirm on biblical grounds that, and what I believe, and what I'll share with you today on the podcast, God receives into heaven all who have died in infancy. And I guess we should jump in and begin by going to the root of all this and ask the question, are all people sinful before God? Because isn't that the crux of of all of this? You know, in, in our podcast, we've covered the doctrine of original sin and how we're separated from God and how we're born with a sin nature. So if we go over that, the answer seems to lean toward what we don't want it to, right? Mm-hmm. What we don't want to hear. After all, everyone everyone loves babies. Yeah. <laughs> and again, this is a, one of those solemn, you know, we've all... We all have lost or known someone who has has lost a child, and no one wants to see anyone separated from God, let alone this innocent child. But if we are all guilty before God, it is, is it even possible that an infant who passes away could go to heaven? Yeah, and Jen, this has troubled people for centuries, and it's very a very valid and deeply felt question and dilemma, especially to those who, like we said at the top of the podcast, may have lost a child in infancy. And Kitchen Table Theologian, if that describes your journey, let Jen and I just say how sorry we are that you've experienced that, and we're going to do our best to provide you with some solid scriptural answers today. So let's reiterate the question, as hard as it might be. Are we all, even before we are born, sinful before God? Yeah, we've discussed on this podcast that the answer to that question is an unqualified yes. Throughout Scripture, there's evidence of the universal sinfulness of humanity. David, writing in the Psalms, you just read along with David. He says, we've all gone astray. He says, we're all corrupt, that there's not one of us who does good. Psalm 143, 2, he said, no man living is righteous before you, before God. His son Solomon is quoted in 1 Kings 8, there is no one who does not sin. Every New Testament writer just builds on that Old Testament truth. The Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar and his word is not in us. That's 1 John 1. 
Paul said as much. Peter said as much. James said as much. And those three were all men who knew the Lord Jesus and saw him face to face. So their testimony is certainly credible. We are all sinners before God. So we're all guilty before God based solely on what our first parents, if you will, did. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Or are we culpable on our own to some extent? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, is it time for the podcast to be over? Because I feel like this would be a good time for... Because that's a that's too I've got time. That's a very hard question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, are, so what that question's stating is are we guilty before God based only on what Adam and Eve did? So our you know, original sins in nature. Guilty by association. Guilty so by association. Says. But we're hundred percent guilty. We have it in our DNA. Or is an element of the stuff that we do, our own sins that we personally commit, are we accountable to those for those also? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in the late 4th century, there was a popular Christian teacher named Pelagius, and he taught that God holds us responsible only for the things we're able to do or the sins that we commit. He rejected the, the whole notion of the doctrine of original sin and said, we're only accountable for the sins we commit. So that doctrine ever since then, has always been known as Pelagianism. This doctrine is contrary to the Scripture. Ephesians 2 says, We were dead to God through our trespasses and sins. The previous verses that we've talked about, because of original sin and that doctrine, it, you know, and if, if all that's true, that means we are unable in our, oh, in our power to do any spiritual good whereby we would be acceptable to God. And that's where we're, we're at. There's, there's nothing in us, either the what we're born with or what we do in actions, behavior, and belief now, that makes us acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. So if I understand this right and recap a little bit, we stand guilty as sinners before God, not only because of the sins of Adam and Eve, thereby creating within us this concept of original or inherited sin, but we also stand guilty before God because of the sins we personally commit. Right. And with that being true, it leads me to this question. Are infants guilty before they commit actual sin? Because they can't. Because they can't. Right. That's See, now we're getting to the rub of the question. And again, kitchen table theologians, Jen and I are acutely aware of how personal this is for some of you. And so we can't come, and we don't want to come at this from a purely academic or doctrinal viewpoint. This is deeply personal for a lot of people, and I just want you to know we're, 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 we have that in mind. So are infant children guilty of sin before they can commit any sins? So let's start to break this down into some bite-sized answers. And for some guidance along these lines, I'm turning today to a book entitled Practical Christian Theology. Examining the Great Doctrines of the Faith by Floyd Barrickman. I said earlier in the podcast that regrettably the Bible doesn't provide a specific answer to today's question. Nowhere can we find in Scripture God saying that all babies who die in their infancy go to heaven. Wouldn't that be great if that was a Bible verse? Mm -hmm. There isn't one. But we also ought to keep in mind that nowhere can we find in Scripture God saying that all babies who die in infancy go to hell either. Mm-hmm. So we, we can build a good theology on this topic based on how God works in various situations based on scriptural texts. 
as well as our understanding of God's character and his relationship with us. So hang in here. Let's just jump in. Let me take a couple of minutes, maybe one or two minutes here. So hang in there with me. So let's take a look at this. So number one, having established the fact that we are all guilty sinners before a righteous and holy God, it's good to remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus died for everyone, including infants who die very, 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 very young, right? By his work on the cross, his death, his burial, resurrection, he has secured the basis of divine forgiveness for every person in the human race. So anybody can turn to him and be saved at any moment. What he did, death, burial, resurrection for every person, no matter if they're one second old or 110 years old. Number two, we also know from multiple New Testament scripture verses, God is not willing that anyone, and that would include infants certainly, should perish. Jesus himself said, it is not the will of your Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Paul teaches clearly in Romans 1 that any person who fails to respond to God's general revelation is without excuse. It seems that infants, however, being intellectually undeveloped and incapable of making any sort of a moral decision, they have to be exempt from this responsibility until they can develop any sort of sense of moral awareness. Thirdly, we see this concept brought forth in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse 39 says this, Your little ones who this day have no knowledge of good or evil. So right there, Scripture's telling us that infants cannot know right from wrong, nor do they have the ability to choose right over wrong. They have no knowledge of good or evil. Fourthly, another point I want to bring out, and I'll, I'll just quote Dr. Barrickman here. He said this, Since salvation is wholly God's work, it is reasonable to assume that he saves all infants who die before they've reached the state, what he calls the state of moral awareness and self-determination, which results in personal accountability, applying to them, the infants, the value of Christ's atoning work, God graciously saves them at death. So that's a lot. So what do you think? It is a lot. And I think there's two things we need to dive into there. The, let's dive into God's graciously saving them at death. And then back to this concept that we know to be true, that salvation is wholly God's work. Mm -hmm. He has done it all. Christ has done it all on the cross. And that includes infants. And if they're not at a point in life where they can make morally aware decisions, where they can self-determine, okay, yeah, I'm going to choose God's way. No, wait a second. I'm going to choose my way. Most evangelical theologians certainly would say that because of that and because of God's love and grace, he saves them at their death. I, I think we ought to be clear that if indeed infants are saved when they die, their salvation cannot be based upon any righteousness that they might have or even their innocence. And I think a lot of us would like to say they're they're so innocent and they're you know they're so precious, they're so lovely and beautiful and all that, but that doesn't save them. They along with every other person in the history of the planet 
can only be saved based on Christ's redemptive work on the cross and the regenerating work of the Spirit. And yet, and, and I think we must concede and embrace this point, God can bring new spiritual life to an infant even before that infant is born. You ever thought about that? I haven't, but I like it. <laughs> but just because I like it doesn't make it true. Do you have any biblical references to back that up? How dare you ask me for biblical references? <laughs> this is kitchen table theology after all. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't have to look any further than John the Baptist. The, the angel Gabriel, before John was born, said in Luke 1, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. One theologian I read regarding this verse said, we might say that John the Baptist was born again before he was born. <laughs> There's a similar example in the 22nd Psalm. David wrote this, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Mm. The prophet Jeremiah said, before I was in my mother's womb. So even before I was in, in that nine-month you call that a gestational period? Gestational. Mm -hmm. Before I was in my mother's womb, you knew me. Mm -hmm. That kind of, I mean, let that say, that blows my mind a little bit. So John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost mm -hmm. while he was in his mother's womb. David said, from my mother's womb, you've been my God. So we, we, we've been together. You knew me, Jeremiah said, before I was even in my mother's womb. So as a result of those verses, it's clear, very clear, that God may save and have a relationship with newborns or preborns in unconventional ways, even if they do not hear or understand the message. That, by the way, is one of the reasons I'm very pro-life, because God views the prenatal baby in the womb as a person. Mm -hmm. Before you, personal pronoun, before you were in the womb, I knew you. He didn't know a fetus. He knew a person. Anyway, that's not where we're going today, but there you go. But keep in mind, this is not how God usually saves people, right? I think we get that. In certain uncommon circumstances, like the example of John the Baptist, God provided him the Holy Spirit before John the Baptist could have any comprehension of Christ's redemptive acts. So this can lead us to believe that God can do the same thing if he knew a newborn would die before hearing the gospel message. It's not a hard thing for God to do, obviously. Mm -hmm. And all of these references are just greater emphasis, again, not on the infant, not on David in the womb, not on John the Baptist in the womb, but on the power of an almighty God, the power of his Holy Spirit, the power of his grace that comes within that, and that knowledge of, of knowing, knowing us before we were born. Now, we're getting to the end here, but there's one other quick point I'd like to make. While all of us are guilty of Adam's initial or original sin, we are not consigned to hell based solely on that. So let that sink in for a second. So we're all guilty of original sin. It's our sin nature. We're born in sin. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm a sinner from the second my DNA is me. But we're not going to pay the penalty of that and go to hell if that is the case solely based on that. We are taught in Romans and the Gospel of John that we are condemned for our actual sins as well. So infants who die have not yet committed actual sins. They, they just haven't. So let's turn again to King David. You, you may recall 
This is one of those spicy Old Testament stories. Mm -hmm. When David got together and hooked up with Bathsheba, she got pregnant. And a child was born, but that child died in infancy. And through his grief, David writes and says this, but now that the baby is dead, why should I fast? They were fasting and praying that his life would be saved. He died. Why, uh, why should I fast? I can't bring him back to life, David said. And then David said this, someday I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me. Now, someday I will go to him. If anyone ever had confidence that he would live in the presence of the Lord forever, it was David. We read that over and over again in his writings. He also expressed confidence that he would be with his son in the presence of God forever. That passage alone should bring comfort and assurance to all believers that they will one day see their children again in heaven. David believed it. God put it in the Bible. We have it. Someday I will go to him. So I think God saves save those infants. Absolutely. So clearly this, as we've noted several times throughout, is a very heavy topic. Can you just give us a quick summary as we close today? Well, after all of that, all I can say is that I, I can speak only for myself, but I believe in the salvation of children who die before they reach a time when they can be held accountable for their actions. A, a baby dies without ever having committed a sin. So I think that there's a lot of weight to that. But I must affirm their salvation, not because they're innocent or not because they've never committed an actual sin, because they're still born into sin, not that they've earned forgiveness, but because God has sovereignly selected them for eternal life, regenerated their little souls, and applied. And here's what I like. God applies the benefits, the saving benefits of Christ's blood to them, apart from any conscious faith on their part. And let me let me just close with this story. Uh, even the evangelist D.L. Moody uh, received word one day that his tiny grandson and his namesake, a little baby boy named Dwight, D.L. Moody was Dwight L. Moody. That little fella had died back in Massachusetts while Moody was ministering and preaching in Colorado Springs. And he wrote this letter back home, and he said this, I know Dwight is having a good time and we should rejoice with him. What would the mansions be without children, those mansions in heaven? What would they be without children? And he has gone to help get things ready for his parents. You know, the master said, the last shall be first. He was the last to come into our circle, and he is the first to go up there. So safe, so free from all the sorrow that we are passing through. I do thank God for such a life. It was nearly all smiles and sunshine. What a glorified body he will have, and with what joy he will await your coming. You will have the dear little man with you for ages and ages. The word that keeps coming to my mind is this, it is well with the child. When a child goes to heaven, it grieves us to the depths. But what a comfort to know that one day we will be reunited and that in Christ, all is well. All is well. And in Christ, all is well. I can't think of a better way to end today's podcast. 
If you have enjoyed this episode, please recommend this podcast to your friends and family and do share it on social media. And also please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating or a comment. Before we go, we want to say a special thanks to Anna Schoenstra, our tech goddess back there, our tech genius. <laughs> Let's avoid the whole goddess thing, please. Hey, that would be another good series. We can we can open it up, you know, all we can go back to mythology and and all of those other things. Tech diva. Can we call her a tech diva? Let's of course. Her. Let's call her a tech diva. Let's call Anna Schoenstra a tech diva. We just <laughs> we just called it that right now. All right. And also, please you've declared also, it. You've, I've declared, you've it. declared it into existence. And check out today's episode notes for further information on some of the resources Pastor Jeff mentioned today. And don't forget to head over to jeffcranston.com where you can freely access our podcast archives and other resources to help your faith journey, like Pastor Jeff's sermons, his books, and his blog. And thanks, as always, at Kitchen Table Theologians for joining us, supporting us, and encouraging us. If you have yes. questions, shoot an email to Pastor Jeff at lowcountrycc.org or send him a direct message on Instagram at Pastor Jeff Cranston, all one word. Our next series will be coming up, and it's going to be on angel- angelology. Angelology. Yeah. This is one I'm excited to dive into. I think the you study of be- angels, good and bad. Good and bad. You know, Jim, before we leave today, I want to recommend just uh, three books real quick on the subject of today. John MacArthur wrote a book called Safe in the Arms of God. Justin Peters' book, Do Not Hinder Them. And R.A. Webb's book, The Theology of Infant Salvation. We'll we'll source those for you on the uh, and link them for you on the episode notes of this podcast. Those episode notes are great, and they're kind of like a homework of sorts for anybody that wants to. Yeah, and anything that we've talked about of any import is usually in there. Highlights of the podcast are in there, and uh, any resources we refer to, we we link there for you. Great. Well, as we leave today, we want to encourage you, as always, to remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.